right. Good evening. Good evening. Good to see you all. Uh, I'm going to invite you all to stand. And while you're standing, grab your Bibles. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And uh, let's go ahead and welcome our Fairview campus tonight, too. Let's give them some love tonight, Fairview. James chapter 3, continuing on in our series of James. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked in uh, James chapter 2 about faith and works. Uh, how works are evidence of our faith, that faith and works are together. It's not that our, our salvation is by works, it's that our salvation is evidenced in our works. And so uh, if you hadn't, if you did not, if you're not here last week, I encourage you to go watch it. Um, it I think it would help you, encourage you uh, to understand the importance of faith and works. Again, James, the whole purpose of James is that he's talking about genuine faith. How do you know you have a real saving faith, not, not a fake faith, not one that's just based on emotion or intellectual knowledge, but something that's based in the, uh, in the genuineness of what Christ has done for us? And so we, really, James is trying to help people understand what does real faith look like. And so James chapter 3, he's going to be all up in our face. Um, he's talking about our tongue. Yeah, how we talk. James starts meddling here. And he starts talking about uh, your, your evidence of your salvation should be seen in the way that you talk. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, that means teachers, knowing that we shall receive the, great, the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If, many man, uh, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, or, or rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member. And boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly, evil, full of deadly poison." Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Let's pray. My Father, we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for the challenge of your word. Uh, Lord, sometimes it stings. But Lord, we just know that as you uh, coming alongside of us and Lord, just uh, softly taking away the rough edges in our life. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us just listen close. Lord, that you would teach us anything that we need to hear tonight that would be open to receive it. Lord, as always, I pray for your spirit to be in me, to go before me. Lord, to just hide me behind your cross. Lord, to pour in so I can be poured out. And Lord, just bind my, my mouth from saying things I shouldn't say. And Lord, that you would uh, help me follow your guidance as I take this pulpit. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. So, what James is really going to be trying to teach tonight is that a Christian should not only be identified by the way that they walk, but also how they talk. Uh, that, that we shouldn't just judge a Christian by their deeds alone, but also by their words. Uh, what you say matters. John MacArthur, he said this, The tongue is you in a unique way. It is a tattletale that tells on the heart and reveals who you really are. So your tongue is a tattletale. It'll tell people who you really are in your heart. Uh, when I was a kid, we had a family physician. His name was Dr. Donahue. I always thought that was neat because at the time on TV, there was a, t- a talk show host named Donahue. And for some reason, I always thought my doctor was, you know, had a side hustle as uh, Donahue on TV. But Dr. Donahue, we'd go in to see him as a little kid, and he would always make you stick out your tongue. And he'd get the little tongue depressor, and he'd look in your mouth. And I was always so amazed about... How much he could tell about my health just by looking in my mouth. And I think this is a parable of spiritual reality that when it comes out of what comes out of our mouths is usually an accurate index of the health of our heart. You know, what what kind of words you speak is really identifying and revealing what is in your heart. And, And so the tongue is such a concern for James that James actually mentions the tongue in all five chapters. He, he talks about something in all five chapters when it comes to our speech and the words that we say. And so again, the book of James is all about revealing, do you have genuine faith? And James is going to teach us here that a person's faith will be demonstrated by their speech, what they say. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees and condemning them in Matthew twelve thirty four, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He says, your heart is really coming out through your lips, through your tongue, what you say. And the tongue only produces what is told to produce by the heart. Nowhere is the relationship between faith and works more evident than in our words. Your words matter. How you say things matter. Uh, And think about this. After the fall of man, when Adam sinned in the garden, immediately after the fall of man, the very first sin Adam committed was slander, using his speech. How did he do that? He slandered God. You know what he said? He says, God, it's because of this woman you gave me. She got the fruit and gave it to me. But he's blaming God. He said, God, this would never happen if you wouldn't have gave me that woman. The very first thing Adam did after the fall was immediately slander God. Very first sin after the fall of man was with the tongue. And so a transformed nature will produce a transformed behavior. How you behave should be different now that you know Christ than how you were before Christ. And, and, and so what we're going to be looking at is, is some compelling things that James talks about. So in the first half of James, he's talking about the power of the tongue. And the last portion that we're going to be looking at, he's going to be talking about the problem of the tongue. So if you have your handouts, and I hope you do, uh, look at point number one. Point number one is the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. And... Uh, I have a lot of uh, alliteration tonight with the letter P. And so as my preaching professor would have told me at the Baptist College of Florida, he said, son, you're peeing all over yourself. And so tonight, that's what we're going to be doing with all our P's. Uh, So if you have your hand out, the power of the tongue, letter A, letter A is the potential to commend. 
The potential to commit. That means to build up, to celebrate. So here's the thing. Uh, our tongue can be used for good, can't it? I mean, can't it? That's not a word. Tongues can say bad words, like messed up words, too. Uh, uh, your tongue can, can build people up. It can encourage. And so one thing that can influence our tongue in a positive way, guess what? It starts with a P. It's praise. Praise. You know, that's what really God created you for, is to praise Him, to, to give Him adoration. Uh, we are using the very borrowed breath of God to then return it back to Him in praise and adoration, lifting up His name and giving Him honor. Like the psalmist said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I've always wondered, what if that was different? What if he wrote it this way instead? Let everything that praise the Lord have breath. What if your very next breath was dependent upon the praise that you give. He says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But what if it said, let everything that praises the Lord have breath? I wonder how many of us would be here tonight. Woo! And so what we need to realize is praise is a way that we can encourage our tongue to do something positive. The next thing is through prayer. Through prayer. And so obviously we can talk with God. We can have conversation with God. We can sit down and just pour out our heart before God and give Him our burdens and, and really tell Him our problems. And what I love about God is God is not afraid of your emotions. So if you get angry at God, He's big enough He can handle that. And so you can come to God and just bare your soul. And I mean, I love reading the Psalms because that's what David did. Dave, David went from the highest to highest to the lowest to lows. One chapter he's saying, God, you're so good. The next chapter he's saying, God, where are you? And so he's just bearing his soul. And so we can talk with God. Prayer is a powerful force to influence the tongue in a positive way. The third way is to proclaim. It means to tell the good news. Share the gospel. Go and tell others. On April 22nd of 1855, a man that hardly anybody knows about, his name was Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball went to a shoe store in Chicago, Illinois. And while in the shoe store, he shared the gospel with a young man. Little, little young boy, his name was Dwight Lehman Moody. And years later, Dwight Lehman Moody, who we now know as D.L. Moody, would become one of the most pro- prolific evangelists and preachers of the American age. Thousands upon thousands were converted, transformed from death to life because of the sermons and the godliness and the, and, and the way that D.L. Moody would preach the gospel in such a way people could grab a hold of it. But that, 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 that began, that gospel experience in D.L. Moody began way back in that shoe store when Edward Kimball walked in and shared the gospel with a little boy. You never know the influence you can have on somebody else just by simply sharing the gospel. And so you can use your tongue to proclaim, to share the good news. Your speech can influence others. Number four, it can be used for peace. For peace. Your tongue can be used to bring comfort and encouraging to others. You can bring light in someone's life just as easily as you can dim someone's life. You can encourage and build up. Man, you can say some positive things, some, some just really things that people need to hear. Uh, I, I love my, man, my father-in-law does this. He's so good at this. When I was a teenager in the youth group, he'd always do this. He would just say things that he saw in your life. You know, he wasn't no prophet or nothing like that. He was just an encourager. Yeah. I remember at a young age, before I ever surrendered to the call to preach, he'd come alongside of me and said, Brother Andrew, you just got away with people. I believe God's going to use you in the ministry. 
And he saw something in me way before I saw it. But I think it's so important that we say things that encourage and build up and maybe say something in somebody's life that they don't see themselves. And so we can bring peace. We can strengthen and educate others with the words that we say. So, yes, our tongue can be used in a powerful way to commend others, build others up. But also our tongue, letter B, has the the potential to condemn, to tear down. Look at verses 1 through 2. He says, my brethren... Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. James is saying here, listen, not everybody needs to be a teacher. Not everybody needs to be a master. And the word master is really somebody that people look up to. It's like a role model. He says, listen. Don't try to be a role model if you can't control your tongue. Don't try to be somebody people look up to if you have a problem uh, building people up and being positive. Don't try to teach others how to live if you can't keep your mouth shut. That's basically what he's trying to say here. And James's point is that no believer should begin any kind of form of teaching God's word without some kind of deep sense of seriousness and responsibility of what that takes. And so uh, the, the, just, just like... Just like saying things that are filthy and and, and vulgar is a sinful thing, I believe a sinful thing for a preacher or a teacher to do is to not tell the whole truth, to compromise on truth. Do you know as preachers, as teachers, sometimes we have to deliver hard messages. And if if you're not somebody willing to say the hard things, James is saying, don't don't be a teacher. Because sometimes you're going to have to say some hard things. Sometimes people are going to get mad at you. I mean, Jeremiah, the prophet, he was known as the weeping prophet. You know why? Because he had to deliver a message from God that was basically a message of condemnation and judgment and wrath. And he broke over the message he had to deliver. He was called the weeping prophet. Because not all messages you have to give are comforting. And so he says, listen, be cautious about being a teacher. Matter of fact, Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. He says, son of man... I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and, I give us, and thou givest them not the warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. In other words, if I give you a message that says you need to turn from your ways... You need to do the right thing. You are headed for destruction and you do not deliver that message. God says their blood is on your hands. You're going to be held accountable because I told you to say something and you were not willing to say it. Now look at verse 19 of that same chapter. He says, yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. In other words, you're free. You did what you're supposed to do. You know, first Timothy Paul gives a warning about bad theology that's happening in the church of Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 3 he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. In other words, he's saying, quit teaching all this garbage. That means nothing. Quit talking about genealogies and who's just teach the doctrine, teach godly things. Verse seven, if you skip on down, he says, desiring to be teachers of the law, 
understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. In other words, sometimes they're teaching things they don't even understand. Over and over again, we see warnings against false teachers, false preachers, false doctrine. And listen, poorly grounded, ill-equipped teachers who misrepresent the Word of God in the church do more damage to the church than hundreds of atheists and hundreds of progressives outside the church. There are too many people within the church of God all over this world teaching bad doctrine and bad theology, ruining the church. And this is why I get really tense when there's like a new celebrity that comes to Jesus. Because you have these really fancy, trendy churches that are trying to stay relevant. And they'll get whatever celebrity just came to Jesus to come to their church. And they'll give them the platform to speak from. Man, I get tense. Because even, even Paul gives a warning here in 1 Timothy 3.6. He says that a, an overseer, a preacher, should not be a novice. In other words, not a new convert. And there's so many celebrities giving this platform. That an, I mean, this is a place of honor up here. And they're just given these platforms to ill-equipped, uh, shallow, no, not biblical spe- uh, speakers just because they're a celebrity. And the problem is these celebrities have such a following that people will just fall all over what they say, not knowing the responsibility and the grave danger that they have in misrepresenting the gospel. And so we have to be careful that everybody who comes and teaches is somebody who's grounded doctrinally, has good theology. There are too many false teachers out there preaching a false gospel. In order to be relevant, in order to be trendy. And so they take away the sting of the gospel so that it could be received better by the culture. And that's a, man, that is a terrible thing. Tracy shared a a video with me of this young preacher doing a phenomenal job, man. He was preaching the hard stuff, saying the hard things. And this video really spoke to me. And he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, how he erected that statue. And he required everybody to bow down and worship that statue. But three young boys didn't do it. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yep. They didn't bow down. And he showed this image. I have, I have a, an image of, of this statue. And it's basically, if you can see it, everybody's bowing down except for those three. And I saw that. And I'm like, you know what? This is what it really feels like to live in the culture we're in today. It seems like everybody's bowing down, and so many, so many people are just compromising, and there's so few who are willing to stand. But to bring this into a modern-day relevancy for us, I think, I think a way that we can really look at this in a way that applies to our culture today, it probably looks a little bit more like this. I mean, we see culture bowing down and worshiping this flag. I'm not trying to make a statement here, but I kind of am at the same time. But this world is obsessed bowing down to this flag. And they're saying, if you do not love or accept me, then, then you don't love me. If you do not accept me, you hate me. And listen... Acceptance and love are two different things. I can, I can love you and disagree with you at the same time. There's plenty of people who love and disagree with me at the same time. That's, that's absolutely okay. But really what's heartbreaking, put that picture up again for me. What is heartbreaking is when I look at this picture, what usually would be the culture bowing down, what I see in this picture, not the culture, but I see other preachers and other churches bowing down to this flag. There are very few pastors with integrity that will now stand and when everybody else is bowing down. They're not preaching the true gospel. They're compromising the truth. 
They were tickling the ears of men, and they're afraid of what the culture might say if they bow if they don't bow down. They're they're afraid of being canceled. They're afraid of losing members. And what really boils down to is they're cowards. They're cowards. And the amount of pastors that are not bowing down is getting fewer and fewer. Listen, you cannot neuter the gospel of its offensiveness. The gospel stings. It has a sting to it. And the reason it stings is because we're sinful people in the, in, the, in the face of a holy God. And he has to call us out about our sin. Listen, there's all kinds of sins. I'm not just harping on that one. Man, we, we're, listen, if you're shacked up with someone you're not married to, if you're somebody who gets drunk, if you're, there's all kinds of sins we can pick on. But the reality is there's too few pastors that, are, that are, are, are standing firm on the gospel. And so you cannot rob the gospel of its offensiveness because if you pull the offensiveness out of the gospel, you're pulling the power out of the gospel. So James is making a point here. He says, if you can't stand in the gap, if you can't say what needs to be said, if you can't stand on a platform and deliver the gospel with power and conviction, then don't become a teacher. That's what he's saying. He says, because you're going to be judged more harshly. And there are pastors and churches all over this world that are preaching and teaching and believing a false gospel. And the sad reality is, is that one day they're going to bust hell wide open. Because of this false, neutered gospel that they're preaching. And they're praying, hey, listen, if they're preaching anything other than Jesus is the only way, you better run. If they're preaching that Jesus is just a way of salvation, you better run. If they're preaching that God will to- tolerate your sin no matter what you are doing, you better run. Because that is a false gospel. If they cannot get up here with conviction and say, thus saith the Lord, James says, you don't need to be a teacher. Don't be a teacher. Listen, I take preaching seriously. I know there's a lot better preachers than I am, but I take preaching seriously. And I study. And I, I, I just, and I have to guard my heart and my mind because, man, y'all are fantastic. Y'all are a loving church. Man, I love hanging out with y'all and going around and socializing and fist bumping and just, I love it. And y'all are so complimentary that I can, I can lay an absolute stink bomb up here. And afterwards, y'all gonna be like, Pastor Andrew, that blessed my heart. No, I know you're lying. Because <laughs> I couldn't wait for it to be over. You know, like, I, but y'all are just so complimentary, man. Y'all build me up and encourage me. And Pastor Malcolm says this before, and not necessarily to me, but just in general. He says, never believe your own press. And so I have to really guard my heart. Like, God, humble me. I don't want to do this for the wrong motives. And, and God, please help me, help me understand that I'm called to do this. But here's the thing. I take it so seriously. Every message I have preached since I was 17 years old, I have pre-preached it. In my, I go to my bedroom and lock the door. I'll lock Tracy out. She gets mad as a hornet. But I'll lock that door, and I'll, I'll get in my bed, and I'll, I'll spread out my notes, and I'll preach in my empty room. I'll go to my wood shop, and I'll preach in my wood shop. Matter of fact, there is a mechanical room up here where the air conditioners are, and every Wednesday before I come out here, I go in that closet, and I preach, I preach to myself in that mechanical room. only thing in there are spiders and mice, and I think they're all saved to baptize them. And so... I, I go and I preach before I ever come out here. And I know not everyone does that. Pastor Malcolm is a freak of nature. That man, 
He has everything in his mind. He has it all in order. He knows how it's supposed to go. God has blessed him in an amazing way with an amazing ability. He didn't bless me that way. I have to write things down. I have to pre-preach things. But I spend hours and hours studying and reading and watching sermons and gleaning wisdom from those better than me. So that I, 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 will want, I just don't want to come out here with something that's unbiblical. I don't want to come out here with bad theology. I want to come out here with pl- plenty of verses that support what I'm preaching. And I agonize over that. One one preacher said it this way. He said, this is the challenge of preaching. He says, there is no special honor in preaching. There is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls it sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time. And to know that you have to do it all over again. And so this idea of teaching, as James suggests, it's really not just for those who come up here. Yeah. If you're teaching little kids, if you're teaching in a teen ministry, if you're a life group leader, if you have any kind of influence as a leader uh, in the church, this, this warning is for you. That you have to be somebody of integrity, somebody who stands in the gap, somebody who says the hard things. And every teacher must avoid two things. One thing they must avoid is teaching their own opinion. I've sat under a lot, a lot of pastors and preachers. Man, they get red-faced. They slobber, spit into the fourth row, veins popping out their neck. I mean, they're preaching with conviction, but they're not preaching truth. Uh, I mean, I've heard sermons preached against drums. I've heard sermons preached against flip-flops. I've heard sermons preached against uh, short hair. I've heard sermons preached against long hair. I've I've heard sermons preached against biracial marriage. I've heard preaching against having a separate children's service for the children. I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. And and I'm thinking they're like, what in the world? Where's the Bible for this? But they're passionate about it, but they're preaching their opinion. We had one music pastor. He was so convinced that there should be no such thing as contemporary music in the church that he actually caused such such a stink that he kept our youth group from going to a youth camp because they were going to be playing contemporary music. But for two years, he was playing a contemporary song on Sundays, and he didn't know it was contemporary. (laughs) He loved the song. But by God, he hated contemporary music, but he sang it every Sunday. (laughs) Didn't even know it. I mean, he was convinced, and and, and I'm like, you're an idiot. I don't, I mean, sorry. Um, (laughs) I've I've heard evangelists preach sermons using racial slurs against other races. My, my blood would boil. How dare you call yourself a man of God while tearing down and belittling other people because they don't look like you and they're created in the same image of God that you were created in? Man, I've heard some terrible things. All of, I, I, One time I was at a house. I was at my home on a Saturday. I lived next door to the church and this guy had to get into the church and he come and knocked on my door at 9 o'clock on a Saturday, needing entrance into the church. And so I'm wearing shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. And I answer the door. He says, brother, you need to put on some jeans and boots and get saved. I'm like, say what? Because I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops, I ain't saved? I'm like, Lord, that's dumb. <laughs> but you hear all kind of idiocracy out there. Unbiblical sermons preached out of opinion, taking verses out of context to support those opinions. 
And so a teacher must avoid teaching things based on opinion. The second thing a teacher must avoid is teaching without integrity. What you preach must match what you live. Those things must agree. And, and so uh, you never, never do something in a way where you say, do as I say, not as I do. Maybe you've heard the saying, I can't hear what you're saying because uh, what you're doing speaks louder. And so we need to make sure that what we teach lines up with how we live. And James does give a bit of encouragement in verse 2. He does say, for in many things we offend all. This basically says we all mess up. That's what he's saying. We all mess up. I love that he says that because it kind of lets us take a breath like, oh, thank the Lord. Like, I thought we was having to be perfect here. But he's saying, no, listen, we all mess up. But I also think that's a warning. He's saying, hey, we all have the potential to mess up. In other words, be cautious, be aware, because there's potential to fail here. And so letter, letter B is the potential to control. Your tongue has the potential to control. Look at the latter part of verse 2 going into verse 5. He says, for there come unto your, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. For in many things we offend all, if, it many, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in a horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. In the beginning of verse 2, he's saying, we all mess up. And then we get into the, the next part of it. He says, if any man offend not in word, the same man is a perfect man. I'm like, okay, hold up. So do we all mess up or are we all supposed to be perfect? What's going on here? And so how we need to read this is not that he's saying that we need to be perfect as Jesus was perfect. He's saying the word perfect here means mature. We're mature. So the idea is that, that our spiritual maturity, our salvation, our, our walk with the Lord is really expressed through the way that we talk. How do you know you're growing in a relationship with, your, with the Lord? Well, the way you talk should be different. The way you say things should be different. And, and really mature believers who are surrendered by the Holy Spirit have the ability to really control what they talk and what, how they say things. And then in verse 2 he says, And also able to bridle the whole body. So James is suggesting that if we're able to control the tongue, then we should be able to control the whole body. Which is kind of an interesting thing to say. And so the, the challenge here for preachers is, is the idea that what we preach does have to, ha- have to line up with how we live. And, and so the, the easy part for me is preaching this. The hard part is taking it home and living it. And what makes it even harder is my wife goes to this church. And so uh, she sees things at home that y'all don't see. And there's sometimes when I'm up here preaching, I'll make eye contact with her. And I can read her mind. And you know what she's saying? Are you listening to what you're saying? <laughs> like, do you hear what you just said? And I know, I, I, so I have to look somewhere else. I'll look over here for a little while. But here's the idea. If the Holy Spirit has control of that little bitty thing in your mouth, He says, then the whole body can come in submission. He says, out of everything that's the hardest thing to control on your body, he says, that little thing in your mouth is the hardest thing to control. And that little troublemaker, boy, he can tear apart relationships. He can tear apart families. He can tear apart communities. I've seen that little thing tear apart churches. Man, I've seen it. I've seen it do all kinds of stuff. And maybe you have, too. Maybe you are not necessarily the victim of it, but maybe you are the person who actually did it, the offender. 
I remember going whitewater rafting, and uh, if you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. It's, it's adrenaline rush, it's fun, and I remember we went through these rapids, and, and we're like, whoa, this is great. And I thought we went through some pretty tough stuff already, and our guide who was with us, he's like, the hardest one's coming up. I'm like, the hardest one? <laughs> I'm like, I thought we went through the hardest one. He's like, no, this is dead man's turn. I'm like, oh, Great. And so he says, if we can get through this rapid, all the other ones are a piece of cake. And so, man, we get to that rapid, and it was a doozy. And we get through it like a pro. Nobody fell out. The boat didn't tip over. Man, we came through it just fine. And he was right. After we got through that rapid, everything else was easy. And I think that's the idea James is here. He's, he's saying, listen, the hardest thing you can control is your tongue. If you can control that, everything else is a piece of cake. Warren Wearsby tells a story of a pastor friend who had a lady in his church who was a terrible gossip. And one day, uh, she said the, uh, one day she said, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of my sin of gossip. My tongue is getting me and others in trouble. And he asked her, he says, well, what do you plan to do about it? And she said, I want to put my tongue on the altar. And she said, and so she has said that times before and never changed. Nothing ever was different. And so he just looked at her and says, ma'am, I don't think there's an altar big enough. Now, (laughs) yeah, some of your reactions might be like, that's funny. And other reactions might be, that's pretty tough. But here's what the pastor knew. He knew her history and he knew how she'd been doing this cycle. I feel so convicted. I want to change. And then she would never change. And what he was frustrated about was that she loved her gossip more than she loved righteousness. And she didn't really want to give up this sin of gossip. She felt guilty about it, but she really liked it. And so James 2 gives two analogies. Or James chapter 3 gives two analogies. One is in verse 3. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. So the horse's bit goes in the horse's mouth on top of the tongue, and that makes us steer this big old beast wherever we want it to go, turn it to the left, turn it to the right, make it stop, whatever we want to do. Even a gentle horse who has been ridden many, many times still needs a bit in its mouth because uh, there's the tendency that it still wants to go do its own thing. So you need to get it under control. And so this same thing happens to us. If we want to be useful for God, if we want God to steer our lives, then the first thing we need to do is control the tongue. And the second analogy is in verse 4. He says, Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So he gives an analogy about a, a, a rudder on a ship. And I don't know if you've seen those big cruise boats, but have you ever seen the, the rudder on it? It's actually, I mean, it's still huge, but in comparison to the ship, it's not, it's not that big. I mean, it's, it's really small compared to the whole ship. And so James is saying that, that little bitty old rudder can control the direction of that ship. But he says it's under the will of the governor, whoever's steering it. So here's what you got to know. That ship can go into the rocks if it's steered that way. Or it can go to safety if it's steered that way. You and I is what's steering this. And you can build up or you can tear down. You can encourage or you can slander. You can, you, can, you can pray about it or you can gossip about it. You steer this. And so James says, it's like a rudder on a ship. So here's the problem. Number two, here's the problem of the tongue. The problem of the tongue. Letter A, it has the potential to corrupt. The potential to corrupt. Look in verse 5 and 6. It says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth about great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on hell, uh, set on fire of hell. We've all grown up here in the rhyme. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by words before. Man. Raise your hand if you've ever hurt somebody with your words before. You know, sometimes we hurt the ones we love the most with our words because we think that they'll take it. They'll forgive us. We can say the hard things to them. We'll say things to our loved ones we will never say to anybody else. And so we can really hurt people. And, and so in the Bible, the tongue, this is how the Bible describes the tongue. Wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. And that's not even an exhaustive list. That's just a few of them. I think the Bible has a lot to say about our tongue and the things that we can say. And no wonder God put the tongue behind a cage of teeth surrounded by a wall of your mouth. And one commentator said it this way. He says, because the tongue is in a wet place, it sometimes slips out. (laughs) And so we have to be careful because this thing can get loose on you. In 2020, in verse 5, it says, Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. In 2020, we had the San Bernardino fires in California. It it spread and destroyed 22,000 acres. One fireman lost his life in it. Many houses burned to the ground. You know how that fire was started? A gender reveal party with a smoke bomb. You know, they set off a pink or a blue one. And it was one of those gender reveal smoke bombs that started a forest fire that engulfed 22,000 acres. And so James is saying, what you say may be small. And what you say may be said in just a moment. But the effects of what you say will go on and on and on. It will spread like fire. Once it's out, you can't take it back in. And so one thing we have today that James didn't have are these. I call this the digital tongue. Most of us have a digital tongue. And what is so bad about this? And so dangerous about this is number one, you can't read tone in a message. Ever just misread something? Like they say, I didn't mean it that way. Well, that's how I read it. And, and so you can't read. T- I hate, I hate disagreements and arguments on a phone. Just call me. All right, let's, I can't understand why you're making me mad because I don't understand what you're saying. And so I hate text messaging, arguing and trying to resolve an issue over text messaging because it just, you can't read tone. Let me, let me give you an illustration of this. I have a sentence I'm going to put up here and uh, I, I, we're going to kind of read this and I'm, I'm going to read it to you, but I'm going to emphasize it differently each time. So here's the sentence. I never said you did that. All right. Next. I never said you did that. 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 You see, it's the same sentence. 
But when you read tone at different places, all of a sudden it changes the whole meaning. And you can get offended over something so little just because you don't understand the tone. And so people have, man, they have gotten so mad at each other because of things people post online or send to each other with a digital tongue. And so one reason this is dangerous is because you can't read tone. Another reason is because it removes your filter. People will say things online and in text messages they will never say to your face. It gives them a boldness that they wouldn't normally have. It's like throwing a grenade and walking away. Boy, you can type up something and just hit send and go about your day and not care about what's happening on the other end. I mean, you just have no interaction with that purpose, uh, that person. It just absolutely takes away people's filters. And there's a term to describe those kind of people. Keyboard warriors. People who are bold online. <laughs> and they're big and tough on their phone, but they're a coward in person. They will never say to your face what they say to you through text messaging and online. Matter of fact, I have a video that kind of sums this up in a perfect way. Uh, I, I think this is, this is like an, people arguing online versus how they are in person. I think this really sums it up in that way. Online, oh yeah, well yeah, you say that one, I'm gonna say that, and like oh, and text messaging, oh, you, oh yeah, okay, and you see each other in person, you don't even look at each other. Yeah. Keyboard warriors. How many of you have ever got into a keyboard warrior fight and you start typing up something, and right before you hit sin, the Holy Spirit says, "You sure about that?" And you're like, and you just delete it all and just have to like. Walk away. I think we've all been in those scenarios where we just, we want to hit sin so bad, but we don't. And this is what James says in verse 6. He says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. He says, This tongue of ours defiles the whole body, and it can affect the course of nature. In other words, it can affect your reputation, your testimony. No one likes a liar. And no one likes a gossip. If a person is a known liar or if a person's a known gossip, many times people stay away from those kind of people. It has completely perverted your testimony. It has ruined your testimony. Gossiping is this telling somebody something you know, even though that person can't fix it. So, in other words, if you find out about somebody having an affair, and you go tell your friend, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Okay, what you're doing, that's not helping that person. Because your friend's not any, any authority to be able to help them. Unless your friend is involved. But your friend is not any place to help them. It's like going to the receptionist and start talking about your coworkers. What's your receptionist going to do? She ain't HR. <laughs> she ain't the boss. Going to tell people stuff you know, even though they don't have the power or the authority to fix it, that's gossip. That's gossip. I worked with a lady years ago. Man, she was known as the gossip. This is before I was in ministry. And uh, she was known as the office gossip. And I was just testing a theory. 
And so I gave her some bad information. Oh. I, just, I just made up a story and shared it with her. Before the end of the day, someone came up to me and said, did you hear what I did? You know what she just told me? I said, yeah, I told her that at eight o'clock this morning. I made that up. And so once word got out, you can't tell Judy nothing. I hope you ain't watching, Judy. You can't tell Judy nothing. Man, her reputation was ruined. People wouldn't talk to Judy because they were afraid of what she might say to somebody. You know what the Bible says about a gossip? In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19, it says, He that goeth about as a talebearer or a tattletale or a gossiper revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. In other words, a gossip goes around telling secrets. So don't hang out with that kind of person. I like this verse because it tells two things. Number one, don't be a gossip. Number two, don't hang out with gossipers. And really, when somebody comes to me and it says, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? You know what my first question is? Why they tell you about it? Do they think you're somebody that will listen? Usually that kind of <laughs> gets really tense for a second. Uh, and, and really, if somebody comes to me with some gossip, one of the things I say is, listen, I don't know anything about it. I don't really care. And I excuse myself from that conversation because I don't want to, I don't want, listen, gossip ends where bravery begins. If you're the one who puts a stop to it, it'll stop right there. And so the reason gossip is so hot is because it it goes from person to person to person to person. And and it taints your whole character. It taints your reputation. This is why James says it defiles the whole body. The words that come out of your mouth say a lot about you as a person. And there are people, man, there's people you, you love being around, right? They're a joy. They're fun. They smile real big. They encourage you. Man, they build you up. They just, man, there's love to be around those kind of people. And then there's kind of people who are real negative, find something to complain about always. It could be the most beautiful day. And they're like, huh, look at the cloud up there. They're like, it's one cloud. They'll find some. I, I, one evangelist talked about a person in his church that he took, he took to a buffet. Man, that guy got everything on the buffet. Steaks and meats and hamburger and chicken and potatoes. I mean, had three plates of food. Come back, sat at his table, took a bite of salad. He said, this crouton is stale. I mean, had all the food. I mean, you could feed a third world village with. And he complained about a stale crouton. Do you know those kind of people that can find something to be negative about? Raise your hand if you know somebody like that. Find man, Raise your hand if they're sitting next to you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so your words, your words say a lot about you as a person. And if we're really transformed people by the love of God, then we should be able to have love just oozing out of us. There should be joy. Me and my kids read Psalm 84 one night before bed, and it talks about trust and joy. Trust and there's those words over and over. Trust and joy. Trust and joy. And I said, what do you see here? Well, my Carter said, I see the word trust. My daughter said, I see the word joy. I said, what is that telling us? And they said, well, if you trust in the Lord, you have joy. I said, absolutely. And so people who are putting their faith in the Lord Jesus, who have put our trust in him, guess, guess what we should have oozing out of us? Joy. And it's hard to believe that people walking around like they've been sucking on lemons all day have been transformed by the goodness of God. Smile a little, be happy, say positive things. The way that we say things, man, it can damage people. It can damage others. Slander and gossip and false accusations. We see it in politics all the time. People just make up a story, tear down a person's integrity, their whole story. And so we know 
We know our words matter. Letter B, the potential to combat. The potential to combat. Well, I think I got ahead of myself. Let's see. See, Pastor Malcolm will have to worry about notes. Yeah. Letter B, potential to combat. Verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of other things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Have you ever been... Have you ever been to a circus or an aquarium or SeaWorld? Man, that's so cool. They get an elephant to stand on a ball. They get a lion to jump through a hoop. They get Shamu to launch a woman up in the air. I mean, that's incredible. And what James is saying is all beasts, all animals have been tamed. He says, but the one thing that cannot be tamed is your tongue. He says, man has been able to tame every serpent, beast, flying thing, crawling thing, swimming thing. He says, but your tongue is still not been able to be controlled. In Psalm chapter 141, verse 3, David said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. And Paul warned about the war inside every believer. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For the flesh lusteth. In other words, it sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that they cannot do the things that you would. In other words, he's saying there's always a war between doing things which are spiritual and things that are fleshly. He says there's always this war. And so I don't think James is wrong in saying that no man can tame the tongue. This thing is wild. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so, yeah, you may not be able to tame your tongue, but we who believe and have given our life to the Holy Spirit under the surrendering to the Holy Spirit, I believe God living inside of me should be poking out of me and to control the way I talk and help me and enable me to keep my speech under control. James said in verse 8, it is an unruly evil. In other words, it's constantly fighting against control. It's constantly fighting being controlled. It's always in war. And no man can tame the tongue outside of God's assistance. And so the problem with the tongue, though, here's the problem, is other sinful habits, they sometimes die off in time. Like sometimes these things that used to really trip you up when you were in your 20s, they don't really trip you up anymore when you're in your 60s. Like you kind of just evolve out of it, grow out of it, mature out of it. The problem with the tongue, though, is sometimes it gets worse as you get older. Older people sometimes get a little bit more forward with how they say things. They don't hold back. They get a little bit more bitter. I'm not saying you guys are this way. I don't know. I'm just throwing a what if out there. Uh, Just hypothetical situation. A lot of times when they get older, you kind of lose the filter and to say things and you grow to a place where things used to not say, you say without any regard anymore. And that's the problem with the tongue is the tongue is always something that's going to want to be unruly. It will never tame. It will always be wild. And so you have to keep it in control. And James says it's full of deadly poison. Man, it's more venomous than a viper. A lie can destroy a home. A lie can destroy a church. A lie can destroy a reputation. It can tear down in ways that other things cannot tear down. In 1 Kings 21, Naboth uh, refused to sell his vineyard to King Ahab. 
And so Queen Jezebel made up a lie and had two men to validate her lie that he was blaspheming. And so because of this lie, Naboth was stoned to death. In the book of Esther, Satan attempted to use Haman to completely eradicate the exiled Jews that were hanging out in Persia. And so because of God's intervening between Esther and her cousin Mordecai, they were able to thwart the plans of Haman. But Haman was trying to use lies to kind of get away and and exterminate those Jews. Jesus himself was crucified because of lies. Stephen the martyr, the very first Christian martyr in history, was killed because of a lie where they said he blasphemed Moses and God. Listen, lies have the ability to, to tear down and destroy. Your tongue has a way to tear down and destroy in a way that nothing else can. All right, let us see the potential to compromise. In verse 9 and 12, he says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are un- made under the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so, or these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. So as believers, we should use our tongue to praise God and bring Him glory and honor. This is what we're created for. And the reason why Christians get such a bad name is because they come to church and they sing praises and sing songs. And they do all these things. They hear a message about how God is supposed to, uh, we're supposed to love God and love others. And they're shaking hands in the foyer. And they're saying, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. And they get out to the parking lot and they lose their ever-loving mind because some idiot won't move fast enough I mean they come unglued I mean Lord help you if you go down I-65 or you go down 31 trying to get to your Mexican restaurant I mean listen you are saved at the church but time you get on I-65 you done lost your salvation you done cursed out seven people you done uh, flipped off the preacher I mean you done done everything out of the same mouth came blessing and cursing they go into Cracker Barrel and give the waitress the hardest time because she forgot the apple butter Lord help us We should be a caring people, a kind people. Out of our mouth should come only blessings, not cursing. That's what James says. This this ought not to be so. It shouldn't come out the same mouth, blessings and cursings. I mean, we'll cuss out the umpire at the Little League game as if our son's about to get signed with the Braves or something. Lord, it's T-ball. Calm down. The guys don't want to be there either. All right? Uh, Anyways, that's a different sermon. Um, This idea of blessings and cursing coming out of the same mouth, it reminds me of the story of a little girl jumping up on her daddy, giving him a big old hug. And while her head is leaned up against his neck, daddy can't see this, but she's sticking her tongue out at her brother. (laughs) And mama sees it. And mama says to her, honey, you can't love your daddy and hate your brother at the same time. I think there's some Bible in there. We can't say we love our father and hate our brother at the same time. That's what John says, 1 John. He says, you can't say you love God who you haven't seen and say you hate your brother who you have seen. So Peter even confessed in Matthew 16, 16, when Jesus asked him a question, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then a few chapters later, he cursed and says, I swear I don't even know that man. Out of the same mouth came blessing and cursing. 
James says, my brethren, this ought not to be. Then in James, he uses, in those verses 10 through 12, he uses three illustrations. He talks about a fountain. He says it's impossible for a fountain to produce both sweet and bitter water. He talks about a tree. He says it's impossible for a fig tree to produce olives. And he talks about a spring. He says it's impossible for a spring to produce both salt and fresh water. And so what James is trying to say here is a hateful heart cannot produce loving words. And he's saying an unrighteous heart can't produce righteous words or righteous works. He says those two things can't coexist. So if we claim to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we claim to be made into a new image and a new creation, if we claim to be transferred from death to life, then our words and our actions should declare that. Lord, help us if our words do not match our actions, if our words do not match the faith that we claim that we have, because we have been made righteous by Christ, and so therefore the way that we speak should be righteous. It should be clean. It should be good. Don't let the words you speak corrupt your testimony. Be careful how you speak to strangers. Be careful how you speak to your spouse. Be careful how you speak to your kids. And if this challenge, I think it's a challenge I have on your paper. If you've, had, if you've said some hurtful things to somebody... Because James also says, don't be just hearers of the word, but doers also. And so if anybody in here is guilty of saying some hateful, hurtful things to somebody, you threw the grenade and walked away through a text message, you were that keyboard warrior at one time, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Make it right. Amen. Ask them to forgive you. Apologize for what you did. That would be the biggest thing you could ever do. Make it right with that person. Maybe you have been hurt. By someone saying some hurtful things. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of the keyboard warrior. You know what you got to do? Forgive them. But you don't know how many times they've done it. Forgive them again. You don't know how hard it is. Jesus forgave you. And he says, if I've forgiven you, you should go forgive others. So we have no excuse. We have no excuse. Remember last week we talked about faith and works. I said, what is works? Works is Jesus in me, living through me. In other words, your words should be Jesus living through you. So, watch your mouth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.